Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, you join Catherine Whittaker and myself, David Law, down in a pub basement, a proper pub, where I'm on my second beer. This could all go wrong, folks. Uh, Catherine tells me that this is a pub that is used for dr- Dungeons and Dragons conferences. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what the official word for a grouping of Dungeons and Dragons participants is. Okay. I say this with no judgment at all. Uh, I mean, they look like they're having a whale of a time yeah. but we are sat in the seats of people that um agglomerate in the basement of this pub i believe every tuesday so they could descend on us any moment now yeah because it's to, tuesday to play dungeons and dragons right okay well i it's, can't wait it's a thing okay uh it's a, i mean it's a beautiful pub it's a bit spit and sawdust but you know uh we're, we're here we've got our beers catherine looks offended by that description uh, and we're local we're, it's catherine's local and we're here to talk about tennis folks catherine has got the tennis from madrid on her phone live as we speak we'll try not to give you too many live updates of things you already know the result for uh but we've got loads of that to talk about we've got all all the, the results from Barcelona last week, uh, Estoril, uh, not Barcelona last week, Barcelona two weeks ago, we've, we, we had that, Estoril last week, Munich, um, Rabat as well, uh, and then Madrid this week. Prague. Prague, yeah, so much going on. Uh, all in the build-up to the French Open, of course, which is a few weeks away. We also want to cover off Yanko Tipsarevich's interview that we haven't had a chance to talk to Catherine about. We'll do that a little bit later. And first of all, though, we're going to talk about the, the loose ends, really, the, the, the aftermath of last week's podcast to do with Justin Gimmelstub, which uh, I think we made our thoughts pretty clear about. But uh, a lot has happened since then, because two days later, Justin Gimmelstub Justin Gimmelstub did indeed stand down from his position on the ATP board after much uh, much anger from from us and and uh, encouragement for for him to to not be in that position anymore um, and well many more people as well felt the same and indeed he did he put out a long long statement in the end saying he was resigning from his position um, later on in that evening he he was also he also stood down from his position at tennis channel uh, led to believe that he would probably been pushed from both positions uh, had he not opted to stand down but ultimately the right decision i would say along 
a long time overdue, but got there in the end. Um, he apparently had flown to Madrid because he said, I wanted to look Novak Djokovic in the eye, who's the head of the player council. And the two most important things I wanted to say were first, thank you, and second, to apologise. That in a Chris Clary article in the New York Times. We now have a situation where his position on the board is going to be um, elected and 15 names have currently put themselves forward to be on the preliminary list for the player counts for the player board um, and will be chosen and those people putting themselves forward are people like Brad Gilbert and Tim Mayart who we mentioned last week Mark Knowles Weller Evans who was for a long time um, head of player services certainly when I joined the ATP back 20 years ago and Danny Valverde uh, is, is another one who's the coach of uh, Grigor Dimitrov and formerly part of Team Murray looking for work elsewhere coach of Grigor Dimitrov Which, I mean you can you can put them together as we know <laughs> But he's having a tough old time with Grigor because Grigor's not winning many matches at the moment. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, am I going to talk about Grigor Dimitrov or Justin Gimelstob? Well, Grigor, <laughs> Grigor lost 7 6 7 6 yesterday, so that's the end of that chat. To Taylor Fritz. Yeah, uh, who's, who's lost today to Novak Djokovic. Um, but the, the aftermath is, is interesting as well because Stan Wawrinka then wrote a very long letter to the Times newspaper in which he was incredibly critical of the state of governance within the men's game, the board side of things, and really feels as though the players were put in, in an impossible position that they shouldn't have been in having Justin Gummelstab in position after all that had gone before. Um, clearly very disappointed that he wasn't removed from position when important decisions were being made, uh, particularly about Chris Commode most recently, uh, him not having his contract renewed at the end of the year. Subsequent to that, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic and today Rafael Nadal have all been to an, into their press conferences. Um, Federer was asked about the situation and he said, I think it's definitely the right move by Justin to step down. He needs to go back and figure things out. There's no doubt about that. The tour needs to keep moving forward in these challenging times and important times right now. I'm not going to come out. And he was asked, why have you, have you not come out and spoken before being asked today in Madrid. And it was put to him that Stan Wawrinka had done that, obviously on social media and then in his letter to the Times. Um, and Federer said, I'm not going to come out on social media and all of a sudden comment on stuff. And, I was not in, and I've not been in press conferences. If I would have been at an event, you could have asked me, but I was at home. Nobody knocked on my door. Uh, then I would have given my comment. So um, next time one breaks, guys, let's all get down Roger's house. It's an invitation to the press to get round round his house doorstepping yeah. doorstepping is alive and well it reminds me of uh, uh, a story Nigel Clark uh, a journalist who, who's still on the tennis circuit occasionally these days and, and was one of the regulars back in the McEnroe years said they used to just wait with their ears pressed against the hotel doors of John McEnroe to see what they could hear so they managed to get up to the floor that he was staying yeah. on yeah in those days, you know, it's a bit easier. It's an extraordinary intrusion, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, I'm not suggesting everybody should do that to Roger Federer. However, he has basically said, you know, if you want to know what I think, you better come and ask me. So come around my house. No um, uh, Novak Djokovic then yesterday said it was the right decision on Justin's side. It's unfortunate because he's probably been the biggest asset players have had. He needs to go back and deal with that case, find the right state of mind before he tries to come back. 
Djokovic then said on Chris Commode, I think he has the right to be a candidate officially for another mandate. I don't know if he wants to do that or not, but why not? We need as many quality candidates as possible. It will be an important process for us. Uh, and then today, I haven't got it down in front of me, but Rafael Nadal was asked about the situation. He was criticised in, in some quarters for not giving his opinion we mentioned that last year uh, last week rather on the show that he he didn't want to tell the media he and he he reiterated today look i have my thoughts they're the same as they were before i wanted to say to them them to the players rather than in the media which is an interesting one isn't it because stan Varenka has done the absolute complete opposite he has come out and he has let everybody know exactly what he thinks and he's actually been critical of those that haven't said anything, and he's said that silence is complicity, which is a damning thing to say. It's very, very strong for a fellow player and a, a friend in Federer's case to say, and, and, I mean, look, you know, these are guys who haven't said anything. So he's, he's kind of pointing the finger at them and uh, among others. Yeah, and I, I believe Stan Vavrinka is right in this circumstance. Silence is complicity. It's perhaps understandable complicity <laughs> these guys have uh, a lot of skin in the game to use an expression that i know simon briggs hates <laughs> with every bone in his body um you know they've got a lot to lose they've got a lot at stake um i but i i i am i was moved by Vavrinka's letter you know acknowledging so much of the bigger picture stuff about what this episode is indicative of in tennis. I think that's what we need to be looking at now, seeing, seizing this opportunity for a, for a clean slate and not just viewing this as a, a temporary hiatus by Justin Gemmelshaw, which is what Djokovic's language seemed to suggest. I mean, he referenced a comeback from Gemmelshaw to um, the the upper levels of management of tennis sort of in a very par for the course kind of it's a given way now look I am a huge believer in rehabilitation I don't I think there are a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of offenders and bad people in the world that can't be rehabilitated in the right circumstances and and were those circumstances to to arise for Justin Gimmel's job I wouldn't just slam the door in his face personally. But however, I see none of them at the moment. I see, you know, 745 words of his statement. Not one of them was sorry. He apologised to Novak Djokovic for standing down from the Players' Council. But he hasn't apologised. He hasn't expressed any kind of apology for what he's done, for the culture that he's created for 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 any of his reactions relating to that crime i see only equivocation from him uh or hear any equivocation from him from him in relation to that to that crime so an awful needs there needs to be an incredible sea change in the position of justin gimmelstob for for tennis to consider welcoming him, him back um and for for djokovic to talk about it in in that way as if it's a given was quite alarming to me um Federer I mean I don't know what I was expecting from Federer and Nadal I wasn't expecting anything from Nadal after what we had last week of him just kind of shutting it down from Federer it was disappointing it was disappointing I think what riles me the most is when Federer plays dumb about the power and influence that he has in the sport I believe that 
Federer and Nadal together have more power than any other entity or anything combined. And that that interview that Simon flew over to Chicago uh, to do with Federer last year at, at the Labour Cup, um, they were talking about various different things in tennis. I think it was specifically in relation to the reform of of Davis Cup. But and Federer said, kind of. I'm going to chat with Nadal and we'll see where we place our chips. We'll see, you know, what we want to move to support. And there was a real acknowledgement there of the power that they have as a unit. There was this sort of feeling. I had this mental image of of Federer and Nadal riding in on their, you know, horses like Gandalf on Shadowfax, you know. Um, they have an... Ex- I mean, individually, they wield an extraordinary amount of power. But together, I believe, and I believe they are aware particularly Federer that they have the power to affect immense change um, in the culture of the sport so it bothered me that Federer kind of played dumb about that Do do you not think it is fair enough for those players to say well look I want to do my talking face to face I don't want to do it through the through the media I don't want why should I tell you lot I'd rather tell the people that can actually affect change directly rather than having a conversation through the media. Maybe, but did any of of what he said suggest that... But, yeah, maybe. I'll tell you what I think... Maybe, but how powerful was Stan's statement and letter in the Times? Well, it was incredibly powerful. I think there are those that might also say, well, okay, you've been very loud and vocal about it, Go and now campaign for the 2020 he might. council and try and actually do something about it yourself. And then you'll be in the firing light. And he well might. Um, I, I hope he does. I think others have pointed out as well that he, he was on the player council um, six, five or six years ago and Justin Gummelstab was in position then too. Um, so where does he stand on that? I mean, I would answer that, well... Justin Gimmelston hadn't beaten somebody up at that point. That's that's one big significant difference. Um, ultimately, I, I'm really happy that he stood up and said what he thinks because I think this is a conversation that needs to be had more generally so that standards just have to get raised. You can't do things behind closed doors. Uh, I also think this particular case needed to be assessed for what it is and that is unacceptable behavior absolutely unacceptable and i think that the the sadness for me is that whilst i understand why federer djokovic nadal wouldn't necessarily want to go and just start putting people away in in public none of them made a stand a proper stand in what they said to say this is not on we cannot have somebody in power in this game who's behaving like that we can't it's it wasn't said. Um, Vasek Pospel said and it in, no in that statement, um, and, I, and I think anyway. it's um, I think it's unfortunate that they didn't see fit to just make that very strong point that you cannot. I don't care how much you might do for for raising money for players. You, we don't want to be represented by people who do things like that. Yeah, um, too right. So that's where we are. That's where we are with that situation. What one the other thing that Nadal did say as well today was that he'd like to see some somebody a Spanish speaker on the board uh, who could more represent a lot of players who can't necessarily make their thoughts known as yeah. well. Maybe because it's in, not just 
North America, it's it's the Americas yeah. that that board position. So uh, um, not all of those that put their name forward have, have made their name public. The only one that's public that's a Spanish speaker, I believe, is Danny Valverde. But mm. they, there could be others. Yeah, and actually, I mean, I think he would be a really interesting choice. Uh, somebody that uh, I've got a lot of time for, Danny Valverde, um, and uh, yeah, I could definitely see him being being effective in a different way it's like i talked about the different types of leader last week but uh we'll see we'll see what happens should we talk about some tennis let's talk about some tennis oh, in this pub in which dungeons and dragons get played and talked about uh, i'll find out what that is later too uh so first of all it's good old-fashioned fun i think is it well yeah. it involves computers but right. apart from that it's it's good okay well we're fun. on our own in a little pub and it's lovely and i'm on my second beer so i'm struggling to read the script a little here uh but i can see the words joe conta um who's had a, a good run she reached her first ever clay court final in rabat last week um and she very nearly won it she ended up facing maria sakari who who won her i think it was her first title wasn't it, it was maria yep. sakari's first title and it was the first time ever that two Greek players have won tournaments in the same week. Sakari, who's a heck of a player and seems like a really nice person too, and Stefanos Tsitsipas winning in Estoril basically at the same time. Yeah, and do you know what it made me think? It made me think, oh, wouldn't it be great if there were a combined men's and women's tournament at which both of these two could play together as a team and yeah. we could enjoy that because they've known one another since they were six years old and they've got this glorious relationship and I thought oh yeah they played together at Hotman Cup that was really good wasn't it and then I got sad because <laughs> that's being done away with although and, and Stefano Tsitsipas may not be able to play at the ATP Cup because no. there's no other ranked Greek player but the ICF do say that they plan to run the Hotman Cup elsewhere in the calendar where, Which, that, where that fits <laughs> who knows yeah, but yeah. It, at least that's something all those big gaps in the calendar waiting to be filled yeah so how do you Look at this, though, the fact that Conta led 6-2-4-1 in the final and Sakari ended up winning. There's a question. Well, I watched her match with uh, Simona Halep this morning as well in Madrid, her second round match. She deserves an enormous amount of credit, Conta, by the way, for flying direct from Rabat to Madrid and I think less than 24 hours later. And very, OK, they're both clay, but extremely different conditions yeah, in Madrid at altitude. altitude. Yeah, um, she beat Alison Risk in straight sets, so I'm very impressed with her for 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 putting in that professional performance against Risk. Um, comes out a couple of days later this morning to play Simona Halep, and the first few games were an absolute joy. The freedom with which she was swinging, you could see how loose her shoulders were, and loose isn't usually a word you necessarily a descriptor you associate with Joe Conta. Certainly not of late. You know she can be a bundle of anxiety and. And then she got into a winning position. I think she was 4-2 up in the first set. And she still, it, she didn't capitulate or anything. She still continued to play play well. But you could see her tense up. She just, the freedom disappeared once she got into that winning position, once she had something to lose. That's happened a lot the last couple of yeah. years. But she's fought through it a number of times in the last couple of weeks, the Fed Cup, and now in Rabat. And obviously first round here. But, I mean, look, Clay is a bit of a foreign surface for her. She's never come close to results like she had last week in the past, even when she was at her very best. So you would you would take from that that there's a lot of reason to be positive for oh, her. Oh, absolutely. Really, overall, overall positives. It's just you specifically asked me about her losing from a commanding 
winning position. I do think that that is a a concern. But overall, big positive. She certainly looks so much more comfortable moving on clay. How good can Sakari be? Do we think? Oh, what at weightlifting, she very good. She's an unreal athlete, isn't she? She's got coat hangers for Watching shoulders. Watching her lift that trophy was <laughs> amazing. It's like an exercise in uh, muscle flexing. Um, how good can Maria Sakari be? I feel like I need to ask somebody that knows more about her technique yeah. than I do. Um, she seems to have it all to me. Maybe she doesn't have the sort of ease of stroke production that sort of really natural timing that some have but that's not a prerequisite for getting um at or near the top of right. tennis a bit of, in time for next week we're going to text a few people that know stuff about tennis know more about tennis yeah than us, and then yeah. we're going to we're going to let you know right uh maria sakari's potential uh, right munich top was 15. <laughs> munich was won by 15, yeah. christian garin of Chile. Yeah. Lots of emergency texts going around our uh, tennis podcast group WhatsApp about uh, uh, the need to learn urgently a lot more about Christian Garin. Yeah, most of them started by you. <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, right, Matt, do some research. Who Who is this who guy? Who is this bloke? And he was, at the start of 2019, he had won only one ATP main draw victory. That was in 2013. Six years ago, he was ranked outside the 200, uh, top 200 12 months ago. He loves clay. All 18 of his match wins this season have been on clay. Listen to these people that Christian Garin has beaten. Uh, Alexander Zverev, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Jeremy Shardy, Diego Schwartzman, Pablo Cuevas, who, incidentally, did you see the trick shots? Did you see the shots this guy came up with? Trick shot specialist. We'll go on to that in a second. Uh, Marco Cecanato and uh, Jaume Munar. He's beaten all of them on clay this year. He won the 2013 Roland Garros boys title beating Zverev. Um, And, I mean, he beat Zverev last week, who nearly got him in the end uh, and, and had match points. But Garin still managed... To win, I mean, I just, I, I think it's he's an, he's a fascinating story. Proper clay quarter, proper clay quarter. But he's not just somebody that's picking off those that are not com- not relatively comfortable on clay, like your Shapovalovs. He's beating Marco Cecchinato and yeah. Sasha Zverev, and there are a couple of other um, Pablo Cuevas. I mean, you know, he's beating hardened clay quarters at their own game. You know, those are rites of passage type. Mm. victory those guys aren't they um so yeah i <laughs> i uh I, I mean i've been on somewhat of a crush christian garin cause but i don't yeah maybe i need to go on more of one well well done to him anyway for winning in munich and uh that was his second clay court title of the year. Beat Matteo Berrettini in the final. Um, and uh, Berrettini was going for back-to-back titles in Budapest. So, you know, it's it's mightily impressive what he's done. Um, Zverev, incidentally, has also been speaking ahead of uh, Madrid. Everything is coming together now. He says everything is starting to be more quiet. And I can now 100% focus on being a tennis player again and not a manager, a lawyer, and five different other things. That takes your time away, well, which is kind of what we were alluding to last week. He did seem as though he got too much going on in his world, really. Um, Sitsabas, incidentally, beat winning that title in Estoril, which, on its own merits, I, I think it's just it's it's another one of those steps you have to take along the way to 
winning big and, and being a top 10 player. When you're in those tournaments, I remember feeling this when he was in that uh, next-gen finals last year. He was the favourite to win it. I felt like he needed to go and win it. And he did win it. And here he's in Estoril. He's the top seed. He needs to win Estoril. And he's gone and won it. I, I love the fact that he just keeps on backing up the big win against Federer in, in Australia. And he just comes out. Okay, he's had a couple of ropey weeks here and there, but he's kept on grinding and he's won another one. Yeah, I think you, you've made the point very well there. And I loved his celebration as well. It was really big for him. You know, I think his whole family were in the crowd and he's not thinking, oh, he, he's not getting too big for his boots, is he thinking this is a little 250 that I'm not going to be playing next year. It really meant a lot to him winning that title. Um and yeah, he, sh- he just shows so a lot of respect for the sport, um, which is very welcome indeed. Um, and actually, I mean, even one or two people th- were saying, "Oh, you know, his agent got him to write this post on Twitter with all of his thanks to everybody and everybody." But I don't think he did. I think that that was Stefanos Sitsabas thinking, "I want to thank everybody I know uh, for for what they do for me." Catherine. Yeah, I mean, his agent has managed other players in the past that haven't done things like that no that's right um I, that smacks a lot more of stefano sitzbass than it does of patricio Ape to me um mm. yeah. yeah uh and yeah i do i think it was significant because it has been a bit tough for him since that breakthrough at the australian Open. okay he reached the final in dubai but um then he had that tough swing in indian wells in miami and he said look i feel like i've played too much tennis and we talked in melbourne didn't we with matt about how concerned we were about his schedule um, and he said, I think it was after he lost pretty early in Miami, he said, I'm, I just need a bit of a break from tennis, which is alarming to hear from a 20-year-old. 20? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's obviously had, hopefully, the break he needs. And, and yeah, he's an exciting prospect. I don't he? feel like I've on seen enough in my life of Pablo Cuevas play tennis. <laughs> Based on the, the clips that I saw in that final against Sitsipas, where... He lines up a smash and he ends up hitting a through-the-legs half-volley drop shot instead for a clean winner. The thing is, though, I'm not sure he was, he used to be this much of a trick shotter. <laughs> I think I think. I it's would pay to watch that, that alone. He hit what most people I, I know in tennis seem to think is the best shot ever in Madrid a couple of years ago. Um, it wasn't on the main court, I don't think. I'm trying to remember who it was against. It was back a, to the net through. Was it? It was a. It was a. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know how to describe it. It was a. He. Yeah. He had his back to the shot, and he sort of played it behind him, and it was. Yeah. A, I mean, it was all sorts of brilliant. Just putting. I mean, I'm sure it's the first thing that comes up when you put Cuevas into into YouTube, but Cuevas trick shot, Cuevas Madrid, whatever it is, mind blowing. It feels like ever since that moment, he's gone. This is my USP, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, great tennis player, but. You know, he he fell into that melee of sort of really solid, um, uh, undistinguished in, in the best. I mean that in the best possible way. You know, solid clay court guys that do their thing on clay every year, and he's found a way to sort of put his head above the parapet and go, "I've got a thing." <laughs> I mean, when, when, this when, is my thing. When you've got somebody who hits a shot like that, I mean, for a start, I've never even seen that shot before. I've never seen a a smash fake turning into a half volley through the legs drop shot. Half, you know, I mean, that is 
that doesn't exist. As far as, I've never even seen Mansell Brahmi hit that one. I've never seen Nick Kyrgios Maybe try Maybe it's that all one. an audition for the Champions Tour. <laughs> I mean, I, I just watched that and I watched it over and over and over. Every time I just burst out laughing. What are you doing? You can't do that. Is it better than this, David? I'm, I'm playing, for, for, the, for the benefit of the tape, I'm playing David. The, it was against Zverev. That's it was. It was against Zverev. Okay, I'm uh, playing, can I describe it? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a drop shot from Zverev. In comes Cuevas. Lob lifted by Zverev. Behind the back. Passing shot. Winner from Pablo Cuevas with a little index finger in the air. And that is absurd. Wow. It's the understated celebration that makes it as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that you can't hit that shot. There's, there's been 257,000 views. And he's been lobbed. He's rushing backwards. He sort of paddles the ball <laughs> underhand uh, behind his back. And he absolutely middles it for a clean winner just an inch over the net. Oh, my God. It's worth a look, Just folks. keep playing that. It's worth a look. For the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, the, the fact is, though, that he just brings a smile to your face watching him, doesn't he? He is Mr. Cool. And um, I, I love what I loved it. I loved it. And but in the end, Sitsabas won straight sets. That's the other good good thing from his perspective. He didn't get drawn into that and end up losing, which you could do. He ended up winning the match. Incidentally, on the subject of trick shots, uh, have you have you seen the Kyrgios's latest? Is a is an underhand fake, an underarm serve fake, and then a normal serve. Was this against Struff? Because I didn't like that performance. Didn't you? I didn't watch any of it. I only watched that clip. I thought he was a bit sort of disrespectful to Struff. But Struff won, right? Yeah, Struff won. Which is, you know, that's where you come undone. Yeah, well, exactly. Is when you lose to somebody you should beat. Exactly, and it reminded me of, it was Madrid, I think, three years ago when Kyrgios gave me that Guido, when he spat out the words Guido Pella at me. That's this side of Kyrgios I don't like but hey I, I, I'll still probably be rooting for him in his next tennis match <laughs> talking of an Australian that you're absolutely unequivocal about how good is Ash Barty right at oh, the Ash Barty 10 wins in a row what a player she's becoming yeah I watched her match last night again I mean I had a brief nap in the middle but by and large I watched an, an hour and 50 minutes last night folks. against Danielle Collins which she described as one of the weirdest matches she'd ever played um and well, I suppose I mean six one one six six one. I suppose yeah, the scoreline would back that up. But um, I don't. I mean, I don't think of her as a clay quarter. But that slice, that that backhand slice she has, really penetrates on the clay in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. And her movement's so good now. I'm not, you know, predicting she'll win the French Open, but I think I perhaps underestimated her a bit on clay she's just fantastic she's to watch I, I think she could I think she could she's going to win a slam this year I think this Ash year Barty, yeah. there's only three left yeah. which one I don't know do you think she'll be in Wimbledon I don't know I just said there's my thing I've said it Ash Barty slam winner Out this year folks nowhere right there you are um, oh how good would that be for tennis oh it'd be awesome She's just so likeable. Oh, she's uh, great. Sloane Stevens is being coached by Sven Grunewald, who I think is a, is an excellent appointment. So, I mean, I kind of got that one right then, didn't I, really? Because I said Osaka, but it's, you know, only about two months late. <laughs> Interchangeable women. Well, no, but I said he was going to get a big job is what I meant. Yeah, I think he... Would he take a non-big job, Sven Grunewald? Well, he took, he took that really talented um, Chinese player, who I can't remember the name of. 
the guy who the young junior champion. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, um, but That's uh, true. but but he didn't stick with him. I'm quite surprised you let me get away with that little, uh, you know, segue into one player statement being the player who would coach, getting it completely wrong. Well, I haven't. Let, I've I've gently let you stitch yourself up. It's the best way to do it. Preferred it when you were just, you know, giving me a good telling off. Um, right. Kazmova. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's not here to celebrate, but we're giving her a mention. What, why, are we, why is she on? I mean, listen. She's look, done a thing. No, look, folks. Here's the thing, right? Grand Matt does the agenda. Somehow, Cosmova's <laughs> name is is on it with an exclamation mark. I mean, she's got no right to be on it. He's really she? restrained himself by putting it on page two. Why is she on it? Although, I mean, what's she done? Well, she beat Yulia Gerges. Victoria Cosmova. This is Matt's favourite player, who he who he predicted would win the Australian Open and lost in round two. <laughs> that sounds brutal, doesn't it? He predicted she'd reach the quarterfinals. Okay. I mean, bear in mind, I didn't know what she looked like till last night. But everybody suddenly I mean, become. Uh, everybody suddenly started coming out the woodwork. Yeah, and saying, oh, suddenly everyone's like, Kuzmova. Oh, that I've, Kuzmova. I've, one victory over Carlos Suarez Navarro, and everyone's yeah. known about Kuzmova for the last eighteen months. Yeah. Apparently, beaten well, Gergas as well. So well, she Matt has- genuinely has uh, been backing her for no apparent reason for the past f- four months. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, she is starting to do stuff. And people were comparing her to really good players. I saw Courtney and Yeah, everyone's suddenly getting... It's all getting out of She's the right-handed Petra Kvitova. <laughs> and she's Anna Ivanovic with, like, <laughs> you know, muscles and stuff. Oh, dear. It's all happening. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, keep an eye out for Victoria Kosmova because we are. We, we can't get away. Um, and uh, what else has he got on his list here? Nadal's got a stomach bug. He plays Auger Aliassime next, who is uh, who beat uh, Shapovalov. We were having a frequent texting conversations about that the other day. Oh, it was feverish, wasn't it? Yeah. The chat about Auger Aliassime versus Shapovalov. There's a big row about I, whether whether Auger Aliassime is Djokovic-like. I said he was Djokovic-like. You said you. I said he was more explosive than Djokovic, and you said Djokovic is explosive, and I took issue with that. I, I, I think Djokovic is brilliant but not in an explosive way. Okay. I think Auger-Aliassime does have... He's hardened in a way that Shapovalov isn't. He's able to be consistent, and he make, he's a better decision-maker already than Shapovalov. Um, but he also has that explosiveness, which I find uh, uh, just an extraordinary prospect. Shapovalov, I'm still on the Shapovalov train. I still want him to succeed, but I am worried that the decision-making chip is missing and in the history of tennis that's one of the chips that's hardest to teach i'm thinking dimitrov david i'm thinking i'm I'm thinking big coaching assignment yeah i i agree and i hope i hope that is a what happens and b what makes the difference she's hanging but i think you need to get in there early with that because the reprogramming the more baggage you build up the harder the reprogramming is and he needs it's it's the the shot selection and decision making on the court is so deeply wired into the hard drive. I know he's still young, and I I desperately hope it happens. But I'm just times are wasting. I'll coach you, Dennis. A, that's the second week in a row. Johnny Cash is snuck in. I believe in you, Dennis. I'll st- I'm staying I on d- the train. I don't believe she's I got one think- foot on the platform, but I'm on the train. I'm st- still I'm driving the train. Hmm. Okay. If you had to ask, if you ask me now, who's having a better, better career? Without question, 
or Gerard Assim? If you ask me now. I haven't asked you now. All right. Uh, well, we'll come back to that in about four years when they've grown up. Um, Roger Federer, who is... I mean, imagine that, four years' time. Ojean Assim is going to be 22. <laughs> How irritating is that? Uh, Roger Federer, who's about 48, uh, is making his clay court return in uh, Madrid, practiced with Dan Evans in Switzerland. I was unavailable, so he went for Dan Evans. I mean, he was asked about that in his press conference before um, everyone got into the Gimmelstab stuff. He was, I think it was Paul Newman, that's voice identification that's telling me it's Paul Newman from uh, The Independent that asked that question. Um, and I, I hope, I mean, I guess in anticipation of sort of gushing stuff about about Dan Evans, you know, they played at the Australian Open and Federer just sort of said, oh, he was available. Yeah, well, he wanted a brummy. I couldn't (laughs) make it. So, uh, right, there's that. Uh, Roger Federer said in his New York Times interview with Chris Chris Clary recently that uh, he is taking a let's see what happens approach. And I must say, that is going to be interesting. It was a let's see what happens, but it was also, there was some Trump-esque sort of like, oh, something beautiful could happen. It was like, it was... Careful your comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, is there going to be another petition about me on the internet? Oh, God. Um, you know what I mean, though? It's was, it was like, maybe you don't know what I mean. I'm not making eye contact with you. Um, it was like, uh, let's, let's see what happens. Could be something beautiful. Could be something beautiful. If not, it doesn't matter, but really could be something beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think he's alleviating the. I, th- I think he genuinely doesn't feel any pressure, but I think he's also thinking, I could sneakily win the French Open here. <laughs> I mean, I do think he, he thinks that. I do <laughs> yeah. think he thinks, do you know what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've won 20 Grand Slams. You know, what do I need this for? I wasn't even going to play Clay before Clay again, but I'm here, so I'm going to go for it, and you lot deal with me. Yeah, totally. And, you know, he's, you know he's been watching every single match. It's happened on clay up until this point. You know he's been watching Nadal not quite firing on all cylinders and Djokovic the same. And How far is he going to get the French Open? Oh, French Open. Well, I haven't, we haven't seen him pl- hit a ball on clay yet, David. That okay. is unfair. All right, okay. I'll give you another week. You can ask me next week. Right, okay. Next week. I'll we'll, agree to answer that we'll question. We'll get the federal next prediction week. next week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Janko Tipsavich was a guest here with us on the Tennis Podcast a few weeks ago. He was good enough to spend an hour and 20 minutes in my company on the phone. Uh, I've never done an interview quite like it. I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, I didn't agree with a number of things he said, as, as I said at the time, um, which is fine. You know, I, I, I'm quite happy to hear him out and then take stock. Um, one person that hasn't had a chance to, to comment on it at all is you, Catherine. So, what did you think? Oh, it was a great interview. I mean, he he, he is captivating, isn't he? He's, um, I mean, his fluency in a second language, just aside from what he was actually saying, if is only, eh? mind blowing. Yeah. Absolutely mind blowing to to hold a, an audience captive um, in a second language is amazing. And his insights into Djokovic, I found really interesting and very worthy of um, being given a platform because. That was what you you asked us on the the tennis podcast group chat. You know, what, but just before doing the interview, what do you want to know? And I just thought, I, I just don't feel like I'm, it was exactly as you put to him in your, in your question to him. I just don't feel like we know Novak Djokovic. Tell us what he's like from somebody that that knows. Um, so I found that very interesting. I mean, his talk about his own career and mental health struggles and all of that captivating. I mean a lot of what he had to say about his views on various other things in particular gender inequality within sport I found objectionable and I think I just I'm totally happy with him saying them plenty of people express views of that ilk and a lot less eloquently than Janko Tipsarovic did um I just don't want them to sort of sit there unchallenged um not that you didn't challenge him you absolutely did but um I think I think a lot of them don't stand up to scrutiny, really. Um, and I, he seems like um, an intelligent and thoughtful enough of a guy that he wouldn't mind those views being challenged. Not that I mind whether he did would mind, but do you want to give some examples so that we know what you're referring to? Well, I mean, the he had two separate justifications for for unequal prize money um and when citing each one he said this is what it's about it's only about this point he both cited the fact that women don't play best of three sets and best of five and started talking about you know women's sprinters don't run 80 meters while men's sprinters run 100 um and gave other examples you know marathons etc etc but then he also said it's not at all about quality or the nature of the sport it's entirely about he said i'm talking about income generation it's entirely about income generation which is that same old market forces argument isn't it you know he said as an extension to that the 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 most objectionable and laughable point he made is that we cannot control who and what is generating income in the sport now 
of course you can you just have to want to um and how scheduling for one i mean there is an immense inequality in scheduling in the sport i mean that's i mean, I mean it the inequality pervades the sport at every level i experience it every day but it's quite difficult to to win arguments against hardened <laughs> inequality deniers unless you've got hard data so scheduling is one area that it's very possible to generate hard data now magic monday at wimbledon the second monday of wimbledon every year it's unique in the tennis calendar in that you get all of the fourth round grand slam matches on both the men's and the women's side played on one single day there is no other day like it in the calendar it's why we all call it magic monday it's why we as broadcasters david every year sell it to our viewers and listeners as the best day in the tennis calendar now other you know individuals will have preferences on other days but that is generally what we accept it and big it up to be well i've i've compiled i've looked at the stats on scheduling on the show courts the matches that are receiving the most eyeballs on them the most hype and as a result the most newspaper coverage the next day etc etc over the last decade one third of center court matches on magic monday have been women's and two thirds have been men's not once has there been more than one women's match scheduled on center court on magic monday on court one it has been 38 percent women's to 62 percent men's um and if anyone says, oh, yeah, but that's the last decade, it's been getting better. Well, last year on Magic Monday, there was just one women's match on each of the top three show courts at Wimbledon last year. Um, and I mean, that's just and incontrovertible. That's incontrovertible data. And Wimbledon in defense of that because they have been asked about it the last couple of years. I got some quotes from Chrissy Everett on this a couple of years ago when it came up and that along with other things prompted Wimbledon to have to give a statement on it and they basically just shrugged and said market forces well look even if you accept the market forces argument which I find ludicrous but even if you do it's the context it's the nature with which that argument is tossed out people don't say okay look we're doing this because these are what market forces to whom we are um we are at the mercy this is what they dictate however we would love it to be different what can we do to make it not so because this isn't right people just shrug and toss out market forces you know Yanke Tipsarovic just says I'm not talking about quality I'm talking about income generation and shrug there's we cannot control who and what is generating income it's it's privilege it is absolute privilege it's this just this is the way things are and I'm not motivated to change them because it suits me. You might not realise that that's where it's coming from, but for me that is where it's coming from. It's not right. The markets are sexist and we do have the power to change that and we should. And I, I firmly also believe that it'd be better for men, it'd be better for men's tennis. Equality is great for everyone. It's... It's not as the, the the argument that Simon Briggs made on our podcast last week about how ad adversarial the sport feels like it's become and 
There are a lot of people that view the sport as a zero-sum game, and I think that applies to men's versus women, this idea that there is a pie, and any extra bit of the pie that the women want to get via equality is a slice out of the pie that men's has, rather than just, hey, how delicious could this pie be with a bit of equality flavouring in it? Which is how I see it. I mean... I I suppose there's two things from, from say... I'm use Wimbledon as an example. One is that because it's best of five and best of three on that particular Manic Monday day, you get two five-set matches and a three-set match, which is kind of more for your money. Um, I suppose my argument would be, right, we'll have two of each then. Yeah, that'd be fine. See, right. Um, There's this, and their statements never say, hey, we're aware of this. We are at the mercy of market forces, so we have to do it this way. However, we are going to look about look at how we can sort this out because it's mm. not right. Uh, because There's no will. There's no will to sort it out. I suppose that because the market forces argument, just to be clear, is that the, the idea is that more people want to watch, for instance, Roger Federer than they do someone else. Um, but I would say that he is a very extreme example. Um, and... Just, just. I, I'd look. Ultimately, I do take the same view, which is: mo- Do you want to? Do you want it to be different, though? Because if you do, actually, you can. You're part of the problem if you don't schedule it equally, because women's tennis can't be on the same level in terms of appeal to the markets if it doesn't get the stage as often and isn't as celebrated as much. Which it isn't. Which it absolutely isn't. I mean. <sighs> I'm not I'm not going to go into all of it because I'd like to do a, a special documentary podcast on it and you know I know there are people that tune into this podcast that don't just want to hear Catherine Whitaker's going off on one about feminism and equality but I mean all of the stats back up that you know a UNESCO study in 2018 found that only 4% of sports media content worldwide, and okay, this is all sports, not just tennis, I accept that things are better in tennis than other, other sports, but that is no reason for complacency. Um, 4% of sports media content worldwide is dedicated to women's sport. Only 12% of sports news is presented by women. Um, it, there's a, a stat in Judy Murray's autobiography that I read recently that uh, according to Women in Sport research granted back in in 2013 but it was government funded research only three percent of all sports journalists in the uk are women less than five percent of all sports coverage is of women's sport and just half a percent of all sponsorship money across all sport goes to women's sport you are tying women's hands behind their back and saying shrugging and saying oh you're not winning the egg and spoon race it's it's absurd and and i find too often people focus on sort of the idea of individual sexists and look there are individual sexists they're everywhere but they're not the problem it's the world and the fact that we live in a patriarchy and the fact that the market forces that we talk about all the time they are inherently sexist that's the problem Mm. um and this isn't the natural way of things this isn't how things should or how we should want them to be. They can and, and be different. Actually, this is just how things have ever been, and they self-perpetuate. And if you go back 12 years, when Wimbledon decided it's time for equal prize money, and they brought in equal prize money, um, they they did that because it was the right thing to do. And 
good for them. Well, Venus Williams had to write to Parliament to, to get well, that she, to happen. She was certainly part of that. It, well, I don't think it was on its own. But look, they, they got there. And I would take some heart yeah. in that from that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the patriarchy is a distortion. It's a distortion of the markets. It's, it's a distortion of society, and we should be seeking to correct it. And it will be better for everyone. I do understand why men get defensive about it because it's easy to see it as a zero sum game and an adversarial thing. That is not how I see it. I I. It's. I mean, there's. I. I could. I could delve. Delve deep into the remnants of what I learned from my philosophy. Philosophy degree many years ago, and I didn't. I didn't take an awful lot from it. But uh, um, my favourite um, feminist quote is Gloria Steinem saying, "The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off." And I feel like we're in a phase of the world and society where an awful lot of people are pissed off and think men are having an awfully bad time of it um but just ride it out (laughs) because it it will set you free in the end i didn't used to be a feminist i 10 years ago i was as privileged as they come i was i was cocooned in a world of not realizing how things were totally cocooned i went to a a an all-girls grammar school where everyone was completely aspirational and we were encouraged to do whatever we wanted to do and there's no reason to think that anything would ever stand in our way of that i had incredibly supportive parents who gave me exactly the same opportunities that my brother was given and i i mean some of the things that i remember saying about equality and feminism i shudder at now you know within the last 10 years i absolutely shudder at them and it's been a gradual awakening a gradual awakening via experience and empirical evidence of how things are and that's privileged that's privilege i was privileged you were privileged just open your eyes a bit and don't just shrug off you know oh market forces that's the way the world is because that might be the way the world is but if it is then by god we need to change it so go and have a listen to the uh, Yanko Tip Sandwich interview. Have, have I given it a real big up? <laughs> if you want to hear the rest of what he had to say. I mean, look, you know, that was a section of it. Uh, Catherine, as you can hear, doesn't, doesn't agree with him. Um, but it's there to be listened to. It's long. It's in detail. And he is fascinating to listen to, whether you agree with him or not. Um, and that's what this, this show is all about. Um, we hope to produce more interviews of that ilk in the future we'll be back next week with another show to look back on madrid to look ahead to rome we'll have hopefully grad matt with us uh, and we'll be back with you again the victoria kuzmova special yeah on the tennis podcast maybe she'll have won it <laughs> maybe she'll have won the whole thing uh, brought to you in association with the telegraph executive produced by tennisballs.com and executive and uh, who's our executive producer it's not rio with a y he is our mascot yes i've definitely had my two beers now uh, and we'll be back next week see you then cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 